HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet in Three. I, I think we should realize that we more or less have a broken food system. When 800 million of us go to bed hungry, uh, 600 million are obese, uh, we waste 30% of our food, then something is fundamentally wrong. We'll introduce you to one food waste solution happening in Asia. They introduced a system where residents were issued an electronic ID card that would open an automated bin and enable them to weigh the food waste being dropped off. And then they would be charged, you know, in a certain amount of money for the weight of that food. And we'll take a look at some of the real struggles happening closer to home. How is it possible that a meal that was perfectly fine to consume at 10.59 p.m. then becomes waste at 11 p.m.? So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of The Grape Nation is brought to you by Jewel Sous Vide by Chef Steps. Jewel takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Isabel Legeron and Nate Reddy. We'll talk to Isabel and Nate about raw wine, natural wine and farming, and more. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. We'll be talking to two masters for our show. Isabel Legeron is an award-winning master of wine, author, wine consultant, and founder of Raw Wine and the Raw, Raw Wine Fair in London, Berlin, New York, Los Angeles, and now coming to Montreal. Raw Wine is the largest community of low-intervention, organic, biodynamic, natural wines, their growers and makers, and those who love them. Then we'll talk to Nate Reddy. Nate is a master sommelier, earning his chops at Frasca and the French Laundry. Nate's interested... Interest shifted to winemaking and log time in Italy, Slovenia, and the Willamette Valley before settling in the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. Nate has created a food and wine oasis like no other called Hayu Wine Farm. We welcome back Isabel Legeron from Raw Wine to the Grape Nation, and then we'll speak with Nate after, um, both via phone. But we will start with Isabel Legeron, and I think she is calling in from London. Welcome back to the Grape Nation, Isabel. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Isabel, I want to tell you something. I've been doing this show for over two years, and you are my first guest that's been on the show three times. 
Really? Wow. And the first time I kind of went after you, because when I was starting the show, you were starting Raw Wine in New York. Not Raw Wine, but the fair. And I thought it would be great to have you on. And then we met in person last year. We taped a show, and now we have a lot to talk about. So this is the third time. And I think if it's up to me, I'll have you fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and on and on and on. Um, well, I, look, I'm really honored. Thank you so much. And it means a lot, you know, because we we need to be able to talk more and more about what these growers are doing. We need help of great people like you. So, you know. So it, let's it, get it, right into enough. it. Let's get right into it. There's nobody better than you uh, to help with any confusion about how people define, and I know I've asked you this in the past, but we always have to go over it, how people define what natural, organic, biodynamic, and low-intervention wines you know, are. You know, so briefly, because it's the basis of you know, who you work with, um, help me with all those words and, you know, sort them out the way you would, you know, how you sure. define them. Yeah, for sure. So, um, look, one of the reasons why, uh, you know, raw wine is, is, is actually a community of, of people under uh, the low intervention organic and biodynamic and, and natural banner is because we regroup people who share, obviously, a common philosophy, um, particularly in, 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 in the farming, but sometimes the winemaking might, might be a little bit different. Um, so natural wine for me is very simply, you know, wines made obviously from organically grown grapes okay. um, and made without any additives and without anything sort of taken taken away. So it's a hundred percent pure grape juice. Um, so that that is for me very simply what a natural wine is. Um, you know, they there are a limited amount of people who actually make completely natural wines in the in the world. It's, it's incredibly difficult. Um, you know, there may be a few, a few hundred, maybe, maybe, maybe less. Right. Um, and and then when you talk about, for me, low intervention organic and biodynamic wines, these are wines that again are made from organic or biodynamically grown grapes. Um, and when they enter the winery, nothing really is added to them apart from small amounts of of, of sulfites. So natural fermentation, you know, with a wild indigenous yeast population. Um, no enzymes, no vitamins, no fining with, um, you know, maybe Egg. fish products or right. yeah. I mean, we, we do we do actually have some growers, uh, maybe a handful of growers who will use perhaps some egg whites or right. pea protein, but to, not to, the to fish. Fine, but but nothing which is uh, not vegan or or, or, or vegetarian right. uh, friendly. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, and so look. You know, when you when you when you make organic or biodynamic wines, you you are still allowed to use a number of additives, and and you can use, uh, for example, in the case of of biodynamic wines, you can use um, you know elevated levels of sulfites, um, which is why for us at at, at the fair, you know, uh, a low intervention wine is 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 a wine where there is less than seventy parts per million. Um, and, and, you know, way under. I mean, most people, I would say, are under the 30, 40, 50 sort of parts per million. So that's, it's all quite confusing because there's all these vocabularies. But the but thing wait, I think put, to take away... Put it on. into perspective because when you talk yeah. about parts per million, um, y- you know, an on-the-shelf wine that's not considered natural or organic, I mean, what kind of levels? I mean, what's the difference? Yeah, you could have, for example, a white wine. You could have two hundred pots. Okay, per million. so it's three, four, um, five up, you yeah. know, times. I got you. Yes, exactly. And 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 the and and you know, one of the very confusing element um, of of a wine bottle is when you when you pick a wine bottle, it always says contains sulfites because right. it's a requirement by law that any wine with more than ten parts per million have to have the mention contain sulfites. But the issue is not are there 10, but are there 200? And right. there's no transparency, you know, about this. Right. But I think for me, and I think that's also, you know, really nice that you're having um, Nate on the show late, later on, because it's, it's all about the farming. And the common denominator for all, all of these, you know, whether you're natural, low intervention, and you do a little bit maybe in, in, in the winery, is the power and the strength of, of, of the farming. And... Natural wine or low-intervention organic wine for me is really 90% about what happens, you know, in, in the vineyard. Um, and that's really important. And, and it's not yeah. because 
a wine is looks cloudy, it's automatically natural. You know, it could be um, cloudy, but actually it could have been farmed uh, using tons of pesticides and, and, and sprays and, and tons of ir- irrigation, for example. Right. So I think you said it twice, but really the organics and biodynamics are in the farm. I mean, the first part, it's really an agricultural product. Um, that's where there's, you know, low intervention and those practices are followed. In the cellar, that's where the winemaker can intervene or not. And with natural, you know, the raw wine movement, there's very low intervention, low usage of sulfites, like you said, um, and really hands, nothing added, nothing taken out really, right? Yeah, it's as close to being, you know, 100% grape juice as, as, right. as possible. like you said. I, and some people will choose that, you know, not to add anything because that's what they believe in and that's that's their right. vision. Right. Some people will decide that actually, you know, for them they would rather add a little bit of sulfites, for example, and, and feel more secure. Um, so, you know, but but this is a little bit, you know, nitpicking and I think right. it's, it's important to think about the bigger picture. And it, well, you, you do want to get too nerdy, but what I mean is like, you know, these people, even if they add a little bit of sulfites, you know, the fact that they farm organically or biodynamically, the fact that they ferment naturally, the fact that actually nothing else is added to the wine right. still means they are part of the 0.01% of the, right. of, the, of, the, of the wine production. Right. Let's not forget that. Um, I always think it's important, and we may have addressed some of the uh, points, but I always think it's important, important to remind people um, the mission of what raw wine is. I mean, there's the fair where people get to come out and taste it, but then there's the movement, and then, you know, there's your organization. So, I mean, you know, not in a nutshell, but, you know, briefly, your mission is? So my mission, in a way, my, my, my mission is to convert the world of, 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 uh, of vine farming, grape growing to organic, 100%. Okay. You know, so this start is, in the this field. Is... <laughs> Yes, because we, you know, we, we are in an industry which, it, in a way, you know, has become kind of a, a luxury product. Um, right. People are, are becoming very intellectual about, about, about wine. It's a status symbol. Right. Um, it is something that you, you don't need wine to feed the planet. You know, it's, it's, it's a complete luxury. And I think the very minimum that we can do is be responsible in the way we farm, is not to pollute the water, not to exhaust the water, um, which is available, you know, not to forage and, and, and dig deeper and, 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 and pillage in a way that the, the water resources. Um, I think our responsibility as an industry should be to, 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 to be, you know, organic first. Right. Um, so, you know... But there's organics that, and sustainability. Organic and sustainability, right. of course, you know, carbon footprint and, and right. you know, the usage of water, for example, are a big part of, part of this. But obviously this is a huge feat. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, I guess for me that's the vision I aspire to. And it really motivates me on a day-to-day sort of basis to, to, to organize the fairs because I think, you know, when, when you put on a fair and when, when we talk about, about the growers and the amazing work that we do, um, then I think we managed to sort of get a, a message across. And if, you know, somebody or, or more people start drinking these wines, then uh, we have a positive impact on the growers. They can maybe produce a little bit more. They right. can maybe try and sell a bit for a bit more money. They can maybe buy a bit more land. You know, and little by little, we managed to convert acre by acre to, to clean farming, whether it's permaculture, biodynamic, um, right. you want to succeed or organic at that farming. level. Yeah. So that's that's that for me that is the bigger picture, and then obviously on on a more practical level, you know, obviously with the fairs, you know, my my aim is to be really transparent. I want people to come to the fair and to know exactly what they're drinking, how much sulfites have been added, if any, uh, and it's the same with the website. You know, the website has become a resource now of thousands of wines available. You know, in terms of information, you can you can search all the wines, all the winemaking, what's been added or or, or not added. Um, so my aim is, is to really help with this message of, of transparency and to create awareness because, unfortunately, since still to this day, I would say most people are not aware that wine is made with, you know, with actually quite a lot of additives because right. there's no ingredient labeling law. Right. So, we, you know, we have to play our little part in, in trying to get that message across so people in, 
in turn start asking more questions. They go to their wine store and they say, oh, my God, how is this wine made? And hopefully this will be like a bit of a domino effect. Yep. That, that's pretty clear, your mission. And transparency is important to what you do. Um, you know, I think, I think you and the whole raw wine movement and the fairs have helped expose the world to things like orange wine, wines made in amphora, certainly pet gnats. Um, I think by now, you know, you go into a restaurant or a wine store, you see that stuff. Is there anything new and exciting going on in the raw world, that raw wine world that kind of fits into that? Yeah, there are. And in fact, I know that, you, you know, you've, um, you've picked up on, on, on a few of them. You know, for example, the co-ferment, you know, for a few years now, we've had growers who, who are starting to experiment using uh, apple and grapes. Um, or, or grapes and quince, and just making some some co fermentation, which I right. think is really exciting because That's it's interesting. you know in a in a way it, it augs back to having you know you have a farm and you have a few apple trees, you have a few grapes, and you have um, quince and and peaches and and you know and and it's what nature gives you, and and I think like playing uh, along with this and and even throwing in some honey from your hive, and you right. know this is really the perfect farm model. Uh, which I'm sure Nate will talk to you a lot, a lot about. Yeah, he's um, a practitioner for sure. <laughs> right? Yes, and it's, you know, and 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 that's also what we've, you know, because I know you're, you're obviously going to be taking part in in one of our talks for 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 the fair, you know, in in the yes, speaker's I, corner. Well, well, we'll talk we, about the fair, and we'll talk about you know the uh, speaker corner and all of that stuff. Uh, but anything else? So co-fermenting. Yeah, I think co-fermenting. Um, obviously, you know, you you hear a lot more people experimenting with with clay. Um, right. I think there's you know there's been a, quite a big, well, there is still a huge growth. You know, people are looking at you know they're importing clay, they're buying clay from Georgia, they're getting right. some some you know some clay jars made in the south of France in in, in California. So I think what's what I find really fascinating about all 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 these producers is that they are very free to experiment. And they're very excited about trying, you know, trying new things, always in the pursuit of, in a way, of perfection. You know, some people feel that clay actually is exactly the, the, the vessel that, they, that they're looking for. Um, you, you know, and, and that freedom of experimenting, I think, creates really amazing, amazing results. And it kind of pushes the boundaries. Right. Um, you know, you're seeing more and more people blend red and white, you know, like in, in France. You're not allowed to make a rosé unless you're in Champagne by blending red and white. I mean, who, on, who came up with a rule like this? No Why rules. could you not? <laughs> you yes. can eat red wine with fish if you want. There's no rules. There's no rule. Right. I know, but, you know, but there's you. no rule. And yet there's so many rules. So right. I think you know, there's a freedom of expression. And, and you know, I think when you become really good at doing something and, and, you, and, you, and you experiment, you experiment, and you become so good, you know, in a way, you become really free and confident right. to experiment and create a really amazing, amazing results. Which is a great um, and thing. That, and that's why I have so much admiration with you know for 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 these growers because when I hear their stories or how they work, you know, recently I had a friend over here, uh, Jason Ligas, who will be in New York, who's from from Greece, and he's a complete fan of permaculture, and he goes uh, more and more into into the mountain, picks some herbs. Makes makes teas for the for for you know for the for the vines. He, he's managing to combat a lot of disease just using plants that are are wow. growing in the in the neighboring mountains. You know, and that's real. He really masters that art, but that's only by by observing and by by doing it and 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 working. You know, really hard and and becoming proactive. yeah, and becoming a real yep. a real a real um, a real artisan in in the beautiful sense of the word. That, that's interesting stuff. All right, let's talk about the Raw Wine Fair. So you are heading to North America in November, which is literally around the corner, and you're going to be making three stops. Let me uh, give the dates, and then we'll get all the proper info- information out. You're going to be in Montreal on November 1st, New York City, specifically Bushwick, Brooklyn, November 4th and 5th, and Los Angeles, November 11th and 12th. Um, I think you are up to five cities. You added Montreal. Am I correct on that? That's right, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that... Montreal is our new, uh, new uh, latest edition. And just as a business question, are there other cities mm-hmm. in your sites that make sense? 
Yes. I mean, look, I think uh, we could probably, I would, I would like to add probably two or three more. Um, You know, Asia has always been on on, on our mind. Um, You know, it's it's a very different market and it will, you know, we're we're kind of looking into it and it will take a while for us to sort of, you know, make the jump. But there are probably about two or three destinations. And then I think I probably then will settle for (laughs) for our calendar, (laughs) hopefully. Although you never know, you know, I mean, Montreal happened a bit of a... You know, because you have to come to Montreal because it's such an exciting place, and there is loads happening. I thought, okay, let's do it. You know, so that that was not well, a, a planned. The the response has been great, <laughs> but the response has been great. We completely sold out, both for for the for the members of the public and and, and the trade. All right, so let's talk um, about the fair. So mm. it's going to be in Montreal for a day. It'll be in New York for a couple of days. It'll be in L.A. Um, if somebody's going to the fair and you're going to see consumers, you're going to see trade people, you're going to see media and all of that stuff, everybody's invited. But set it up so people could think, this is what I'm walking into. The fair, they're walking into what? You've set it up. Oh. Tell me <laughs> so about it. So they're walking in. They're, sorry. Go ahead. So, so, so you'll be walking into a very busy looking room right um you know it's very simple for us you know it's really not about the decorum so you're just like you know very simple tables um you we have this really exciting new thing that we're launching this year which is an electronic catalog so no more printing tons of paper you know however nice of course we're all recycled and stuff but you'll have your own catalog uh you can write your own tasting notes you can make your own you have an interactive uh, map so you can navigate yourself ar- around the room you can rate the wines and then you can keep those for so when you come wow. back next year, you can compare your notes with what you what you yeah what you tasted last year. You can email yourself the notes. You can email you know all your friends. Wow! So that's really that's really 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 nice. And I think and also you, we're going to give people access uh, about a week beforehand, so people will be able to then plan the trip plan properly, which so, would be nice. So um, and then you'll be faced with a room full of really excited, passionate people who will be dying to tell you their stories. Right. And if you take New York, you're looking at over 140 different wines and makers? Yeah. We have 150 uh, growers and makers. So all in all, you'll probably end up with about over 1,000 different wines wow. to taste if you, if you have the stamina. <laughs> so do, talk, about, <laughs> talk about, you know, and it's hard for me to separate Montreal, New York, L.A. I know there's a common thread, but there may be differences, you know, to each one. But generally, let's talk about the diversity of regions, wines, and winemakers attending. I mean, you have people from literally every corner of the world almost. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, so in, in, in New York, uh, you know, which I would say is, is, is our largest fair with 150 growers. We have people coming from, from literally all over, you know, from, 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 from Australia, from Georgia, a big representation coming from Italy and right. France, always. Greece, we have six or seven growers coming from Greece this year. We have a few growers coming from, from Chile, uh, Austria. Georgia. We have somebody coming from, from Georgia, Madeira, Portugal. Um, I mean, honestly, you, can, you, you literally can... Vermont and, and the U.S. So, right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about that. Right. We have, in, in, in New York, we have about... 20 growers, like homegrown growers from, from the U.S. In L.A., we have over 30. Um, and I think that's, that's really nice because, uh, and that is something that I really actively would, you know, I'm growing and I want to grow because I want people from Europe to travel here and right. taste all these amazing wines and think, oh, my God, this, because there's so much exciting stuff happening, you know, in, in, in the U.S. And we don't, in, when you're in Europe, you don't really have exposure to these wines. Right. So, and I'm seeing, you know, I've had an email just today from, from Lyon in France, and he said, I'm coming to L.A. because I want to meet all these growers from, 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 the, from California and, and the rest of the states. So, you know, so people are now beginning to travel, which is amazing, because normally it's always the Americans traveling to Europe, and right. now we're getting a lot more Europeans traveling to, 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 to the New York and the L.A. Fair just to taste the homegrown talent. I think they're getting um, used to it. And that's something which is great. And yeah, I'm thinking actually. And I think they're having really a good time. On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are absolutely. Um, so yeah, so the, the diversity is really incredible. You know, it gives you a snapshot in terms of what's happening around the world right now in the world of, of natural, organic, and biodynamic. Um, right. So it's 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 a very good representation of, of of what is going on. So now's a good time. 
because um, the people of New York should come to New York. Montreal, if you can get in, come, and in L.A. So the best place for people to go to find more information would be online? So, yeah, if you go to the rawwine.com, R-A-W-W-I-N-E.com, You'll have information about all three fairs. Okay. You'll have the information about all the growers at all the fairs. You'll have the information about our speaker's corner. Let's talk um, about that. In yes. New, in New York, <laughs> you're doing two days of speakers, pretty much three, four, five a day, you know, going on from morning into the afternoon. Um, you skipped last year in New York. You're doing it now. Describe what that is and why people should come. Yeah, so look, I mean, this is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to, you know, hear some inspiring talks, very informative. Um, you know, obviously there'll be, um, you know, let's talk about your talk because you're doing a, a talk on, 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 on PetNat, and I think that's a very good example as to why Speaker's Corner is so exciting. Right. You know, people use the word PetNat, Petit en naturel, you know, a bit willy-nilly now. It's kind of become such a fashionable right. drink. But actually, you know, what is it? And And, and I think... Having you know you talking to some growers and explaining what really is or is not uh, a petit naturel is is very valuable. Uh, so we have a series of talk. We have a talk on on, on Montreal and um, tasting some some wines from 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 Quebec and also talking about how exciting you know the scene is. Um, we have a, a talk on on on, on cider. Uh, we have a talk on. Um, you are on doing wine, wine 101. I'm 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 doing I'm doing something on 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 natural wine. Right. We're also doing something which is farming. You know, again, arcs back to farming soil. Um, yeah, the the basically the the you know the, the issue with sourcing organic grapes in 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 the U.S. You know when when land is so expensive and you are starting, you want to buy grapes, you want them to be organic. How difficult is that? Um, and I think that's a very, very, very important topic because very often, you know, when you, particularly when you're used to like the European model where you've either inherited your farm or it's quite easy to buy grapes or, or land and it's actually not that expensive, you suddenly you're in California and you're trying to make a few thousand bottles. Um, how do you manage to buy organic grapes? How do you convince the grower who you're buying the grapes from that maybe they should be converting to organics when actually everybody else really doesn't care and is prepared to pay top dollar for grapes that are farmed conventionally. So that's a really interesting debate. Um, So there's a a bunch of talk like this. And also we're talking about, you know, carbon footprint and how you quantify this, because that's also really important. So, and, and, Obviously, the talks are going to be recorded by yourself, so then people, right. you know, can 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 listen Heritage to them afterwards. working with raw wine to help with the series. Now, I know that's going on in New York. Clear up a few things. Will there be any talks in Montreal? No. So there's no talks in Montreal, and there are no talks in in LA. Okay. This so year. New York, you have the fair for two days, November fourth and fifth, and there's a schedule of speakers each day. I will be there Sunday, as Isabel said, to talk about pet gnats. And it's not about me at all. There's gonna be three different people up there from Europe, from the US, you know, a diversity of makers that will really be able to uh, get into it. So that'll be exciting. Again, we're talking to Isabel Legeron. Isabel, again, if people want information, tickets, winemakers, philosophy, all of that, they should go to rawwine.com, R-A-W-W-I-N-E.com. And can I just mention one more thing? Yeah, that no I rush. haven't talked about yet. If, don't worry, because if you can't come to New York, L.A., or Montreal, you know, we have... Raw Wine Week, which is basically two weeks of events galore happening all around North America, even in Mexico um, and all over the states. Explain and what that in, is. So basically, Raw Wine Week is 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 um, you know it, it will be a store or a restaurant um, taking part in in Raw Wine Week. So they will feature wines from the fair, or they will host a winemaker to do a special dinner or a tasting. And there's over 80 events happening at the moment all, all around, uh, mostly in, in, in the States and, and, and in Montreal. Um, and, and like I said, there's like seven events in Mexico. Right. So have a look on our website. There's a, there's, when you get onto the homepage, there's Raw Wine Week, and you can browse through all the events, and hopefully there'll be an event ap- happening near you. So if you can't travel, you can still taste the wines and hopefully meet one of the growers. I, I went on the site and, ju- you know, I checked New York first, and there's dozens and dozens of events listed already. And from the other side of the mic, I'm telling people that, like Isabel said, if you can't get to the Royal Wine Fair, 
All these Raw Wine Week events give you an opportunity to meet and talk to the winemaker, taste through their wines. And the people launching these events, the wine bars, the restaurants, these are very um, passionate uh, supporters of raw wine. So I'm glad you brought that up. It was in my notes. I didn't get to it. So look out for Raw Wine Week 2. Um, Isabel, we're going to wrap things up. We have to take a break. I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking about raw wine. I could sit on the uh, mic with you for hours, but I think we got the basic stuff out. I will see you in a couple of weeks at the fair. Uh, again, if you want more information on uh, raw wine fairs, go to rawwine.com. Um, thank you, Isabel. Uh, thank you so much for having us. me on the show. Thank Honestly, you again. I, it means a lot. Thank you. We'll be back after this break, and we'll talk to Nate Reddy from Hayu Wine Farm. You're listening to The Grape Nation. This episode is brought to you by Jewel Sous Vide. Hey, you can host the most delicious dinner and wine parties this holiday season with Jewel. I'm going to tell you how. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, roast, eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. This gives you plenty of time to taste test your wine and food pairings course by course. And cooking with Jewel is hands-free. So you can focus on your holiday guests, watch the game, perfect your recipes, and most importantly, making sure you have enough wine to serve with your great food while Jewel does the work. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash Jewel. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E and use the code H-R-N to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code H-R-N. We are back. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We now have Nate Reddy from Hayu Wine Farm in Oregon. Uh, Nate, are you on the line? I'm on the line. Nate, welcome to The Grape Nation. We're talking to Nate Reddy, and Nate is on via phone from Oregon. Uh, Nate, thanks for doing the show. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Now, I've been doing the show for a couple of years, and I do a lot of prep for the shows, and I was excited to have you on, and when I started, everything went all over the place, and you're doing some amazing stuff, so I want to try to get as much of it in our time, you know, so help me with all of that, because this is not sort of a conventional setup. So the first thing I want you to do for our listeners is give us a quick background on your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are now, which is Hayu Wine Farm, and then we'll talk about Hayu. But get me to, you know, the journey to how you got there. Yeah, I mean, quickly, I grew up in Napa, okay. and my family was not in the wine industry. Um, that's, my mom that's was weird. a school teacher, and my dad was in real estate. I mean, it was like in Napa at that point, you know, you know growing up in the 80s. Right. Um, small, like small, actually blue-collar town, and it, and we were in the town of Napa, and it wasn't right. really until you got out into St. Helena, Yachtville, and all that stuff that you right. even yeah. felt like you were in the wine country. You had a, you so, had to head up 29 north. Yeah, you'd had, which we didn't do. I mean, right. so I used to work with a guy, Michael Manila at the French Laundry, and he used to say that living in the town of Napa was like walking up to the gates of paradise, stopping before <laughs> you got in. Okay. Um, so that's what we were doing. We were like at the gates of paradise, encamped outside. Um, but... So I go from that. You grew um, up in wine country. Grew up in, grew up in wine country, and we, you know, you'd pass a vineyard every once in a while, and but it was not at all part of our lives. Right. Um, so where was? And you, every once in a while, you meet someone whose dad was like a vineyard manager or something. But it, as it turns out, almost everyone I grew up with is like in the wine industry in like some shape or form. So if they're like a lawyer, they do like alcohol law. If they, you know, it's right. it's funny. Um, but I went to. Um, I was looking for a job in college, right? And 
um, looking around town, and there was a wine shop, and I'm like, oh, that sounds like, that sounds interesting. Okay. Um, it, was, <laughs> it was a good job, right? You're in college. You're trying to, like, understand food, wine, whatever, all this stuff. And, right. and so I walked in, asked for a job, and they were actually looking for someone and hired me on the spot. I knew nothing. Um, you know, in a wine shop, was it was a small shop. And the, I did not know this at the time, but the owner, it was inc- like it was a tiny shop, like 700 square feet. If they had a Barolo, it was Giuseppe Rinaldi. If it was Brunello, it was Soldera. If it was, I mean, oh, it was so incredible. Like, Riesling was Carthoiser Hofburg. I didn't <laughs> understand at the time right. that that's, I didn't really get it, like that that's what was going on. Um, and ha- but it was an inc- it ended up being an incredible place to be and but did you go in there with the attitude it's a job or there's something going on here you know i, I, I want to learn I a little i was su- like i was super curious just about what it was about like okay. cuz you know you hear all this about pop and I, like about wine and um and i guess i would say i was interested in food right. and so when even when I was in high school, I had been I was I'd heard about all these you know restaurants up Valley and that people would spend all these crazy. I mean, like, what is that about? Like, why would people do that? And um, and so I was cur- I was for sure curious. So the um, the wine store thing leads you to where the the wine store thing introduced me to this whole world of wine, and it was in Southern California in Southern California, and right. so I would sit in the shop and. You know, it's a wine shop, right? There's right. no one was coming in most of the time, and then, right. you know, so it was reading. You know, so you'd, like, and there were all the wine magazines and wine books, the Atlas of Wine, all this stuff. And so I'd read about wine, and then wine reps would come in, and I get to taste alongside the owner. And um, but you like that? That but was, it was great. Yeah, okay. I, I definitely. At first, I would say like I didn't. Um, I would have so I didn't get it at first for sure. Like I'd have wines and go like, why do people drink this? And then gradually I'd encounter these wines that I found like really moving. And um, it was a similar thing with food. Like we'd sort of like I had a friend and we started to go out to eat in Los Angeles and we'd pick a spot that, you know, that we'd heard about that we thought would be exciting. And sometimes it was amazing, and sometimes right. like, I don't get it. Let down or whatever, yeah. But, I mean, and that's actually one of the most amazing parts of the wine industry is actually that process of thinking one way about something at a certain point in time and then evolve, like learning to, to get pleasure out of this thing. Right. <laughs> that isn't necessarily obviously or immediately right. like pleasurable, like Barolos or that, whatever. All right, so uh, keep going down the line. Yeah, so... So I became hyper interested in food, and and kind of involved in this this food and wine scene in Los Angeles. Like, and I became intent it, that I needed to work at the French Laundry. Really, you and made it just your mind so happened, up. Yeah, and then it just so happened this was at the moment when it was you know Aim the greatest high. restaurant in the world, like all these things. I'm like, I want to work there. Aim like, high. it was home too, and so it was like this is like actually in my hometown. So after college, um, I decided not to stay at the wine shop. I think it was a good decision. Um, and I went back home, and one of the wine reps I'd been buying wine from um, introduced me to Bobby Stuckey, and he was the wine director of French Laundry, and I was like, I really want to work there. And he's like, well, why don't you come and interview? And, like, we're looking for food runners. And I went and interviewed with Laura Cunningham and... They offered me a job, and I started as a food runner. And eventually, I spent so much time behind the bar, you know, trying to taste whatever they were decanting or sort of working on, that they created a new position right. uh, for like a second floor psalm. And I got that job about six months after I kind of arrived there. Nice. So how, <laughs> how long like, were you there? Have to fire, rather, I have to make this kind of sommelier or have to fire him, basically. Jeez. And I ended up being there. It was a little over three years. And I know you worked at Frasca, so I guess when Bobby left, he pulled you over there? Yeah, so he left about a year before I ended up leaving. Um, but I was involved in kind of early conversations with Lachlan and Bobby about opening the restaurant in Boulder. And when, um, and when Bobby decided to make the move to Boulder, Lachlan and I went with him 
Um, By then, did and, you have your wine chops down? I mean, you, you felt good about everything? Um, I mean, I think, I think it's always a case of, you th- like, <laughs> especially, you think you know more than you actually do. So, but I mean, I mean you I knew enough. I, like, knew everything at that point, right? Um, no, I knew enough. Like, I knew enough, for sure. I actually went, I should, to be fair, when I, even when I started at the laundry, um, I learned a lot at that wine shop. <laughs> right, right. I really did. That I mean, wine like, shop looked good in the end. It was like it was a long, um, it was a lot of days spent kind of reading and tasting, um, and then I learned a ton at the laundry. So yeah, I mean, by the time we got at Frosca, I felt pretty right. comfortable. So you're at Frosca how long? Frosca's in Boulder, Colorado. Bobby yeah. is truly one of the great wine mentors in the world now. You're at Frosca. What years? So basically a year, essentially with them in Boulder, a year before it opened. Okay. And then the first two years. All right. And what years are these? What, what are we up to 2005, 2004, 5, 6, basically. All right. So what happens after you leave Frosca? Um, I left Frosca in the summer of 2006, and I was, had become just kind of curious to learn more about like how wine is made. I mean, at this point... I've been in it, you know, since right. for a while. And I, and I kind of realized, I mean, almost a decade, and I had no clue. It's like, an agriculture. Honestly, like, like, I was supposed to, yeah, about everything, about yeah. winemaking and agriculture and sort of the whole thing. So, again, I went back to Napa, um, and I worked with um, Thomas Brown for right. a harvest at Outpost. Right. Um, Good Zinfandels. Up on Howell Mountain. It was, and it was, it was amazing. Yep. Like, and they kind of invited me in and showed me how everything worked and were incredibly generous with, like, yeah, all their knowledge and time and their great friends. And um, I think they're still great friends, like, to this day. And I, I was there kind of 2006 vintage and then a little bit into um, the spring of 2007. And, and then I... Um, I moved to to spend uh, to northern Italy to spend a season out there. You, your interest was peaked to get out of the country and see what was going on in Europe. Yeah, and it made and absolutely. Okay. Um, and I felt you know like that was an important thing to do, and so um, I had all these connections in Friuli and arranged to go um, work with Christian Patat, who right. was. Um, Roncadon Yemets, but also consulting for seven or eight other wineries in Friuli and Slovenia. And so I worked, I would work a couple weeks at Roncadon Yemets, and then I would go and work a couple weeks at Eddie Simcic. Right. Um, Which is, in, Eddie Simcic is in Slovenia? Slovenian side of the Colio. Right. Um, and it was an incredible experience. They were two very lovely, but very different places culturally. Right. Um, and I was able to spend a lot of time in the vineyard um, and a lot of time in sort of these kind of different-sized European cellars. And it was an, inc- it was an incredible experience. Like, so it, two quick question observations. So obviously Friuli had an impression on you because it plays an important role in what you're doing now, the type of grapes and blends. True? I mean, absolutely, for sure. I mean, we, you know, we spent so much time at Frosca. Like, we traveled there many times. It was constantly in our imaginations. Um, I was really taken by um, the culture there, the cuisine, the kind of wines that they make that kind of goes with that food. Um, it's a pretty magical place. But the second uh, thing is, obviously, that's the time that really pushed you towards an interest in winemaking. Fair? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely these trips to Italy when... I mean, not a, the interest in winemaking, it, it sort of, I think, emerged, you know, in, in the recent survey out of Curious. It was, it was when I was there that I realized well, that's what that I, I actually enjoyed it. Right. I mean, I think there was an interest before in sort of being there was this sort of realization, oh, I actually like working in the field. I like working in the cellar. Um, right. You could do this for a living. Even at Outpost, like, I mean, it was one of these things where I'm like, oh, like, I actually 
really enjoy this and I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about because we don't have a ton of time and yeah. we still have a lot to talk about. Let's talk about you eventually come back and you work in the Willamette Valley, but tell me about how and when Hayu came about. Yeah, so, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff happening about kind of trying to understand, learn about farming. Um, right. But my partner, China, and I... Um, China Tessimer? Tessimer, Tessimer, right. right. Yeah. Um, we moved from Boulder to Oregon right. at the end of 2008 to look for a small farm. I ended up... Um, we were searching, and so we, we started looking to Willamette. I needed a job. Um, Maggie Harrison hired me at Antiquatera. Right, a great place. Which was... I worked there for five years. It was an incredibly formative wow. experience. I never... So much about the winemaking I owe to her, and that like that's really where I saw many vintages. Right. Um, and I kind of got a deeper understanding came there. Um, in during that experience, we found we fell in love with the gorge, the Columbia River Gorge, and found a Just small pers- property here. For perspective, how far is Columbia River Gorge from you know the heart of the wine growing region of the Willamette? Two hours. Two hours. Okay. Yeah. So cool. definitely a totally different, you know, everything. So you find a spot and that becomes Hayu? Yeah. So we found uh, basically it's a small seven-acre farm that had two and a half acres of grapevines. Okay. Um, and there was space for a little bit of pasture and some garden. And so that was the beginning was like sort of taking care of two and a half acres of vines and learning how to farm it and then getting our first animals, which were um, American guinea hogs, um, and having, you know, learning, I mean, learning it all from the ground up. Like, Well, it's, uh, you, you know, you're being very simple, and we'll get to it, but a lot of people would buy a piece of property, there would be rows of vines, and, you know, they would work on the trellises and cultivate them and pick them. That's not exactly what you did. You know, like you said, you went in, you brought in animals, you worked with the vines that were there. Your approach to farming was totally different. Um, so l- let's talk about that. I mean, it's fair to say the way you approach wine, growing grapes, <clears throat> and farming is totally different. Explain. Yeah, so we, we became, China and I, I mean, we we're interested, it's so hard to describe. We we're in, um, we're seeking, you know, in the wine and in the food, like, like certain, a certain kind of experience. Um, and, and when we were in Italy, the agronomist at Roncalignamet, Andrea Patana, he just really enforced the importance of sort of understanding farming from the ground up and kind of having like a deep historical understanding of this and and it sort of led to this huge research project right um where we were trying to especially in boulder and working a bit on local farms doing a lot of reading and trying to understand i mean it's like sort of ridiculous like like what is like what is farming and how have people done it in different places and and why and we fell um, but not necessarily only in reference to grapes, grape vines, grape growing, right? Just the yeah, whole... no, just, just completely broadly. Right. Um, I mean, definitely related to yeah. food and flavor. But, like, I mean, we were super, <laughs> we're very passionate about, like, about, about those things. And it was definite. I think you could never really s- separate it, but it ended up... There's a, it's a whole other long story about China's history because it's very important, but she grew up on a biodynamic farm in Vermont. Uh, Her parents are both anthroposophic, um, very involved in the world of anthroposophy and Rudolf Steiner. Steiner. Um, and biodynamics, so we kinda, you're right. So she came into it with a ton of background from that angle, and then we both sort of fell in love. We were looking for for kind of like a guide or like some, 
a direction to sort of follow, something to kind of unlock this world for us, because we sort of would see more conventional descriptions of like sort of different farming practices. Right. And, and it left us like very cold. It just didn't seem like this, it's not how we would work in the kitchen or like in the winery or. It's not um, what you wanted. It just didn't make sense. And then right. we read, you know, the One Straw Revolution right. for the first time. This was in about like 2007. Um, and that was the first time we'd sort of read something about farming that, that really resonated and felt like it was, you know, going to lead somewhere. That book is, is amazing. It's, it had so much about the the idea and the philosophy of it. We were led from that to um, Sepp Holzer, who's an Austrian permaculture practitioner. And that was the first time that I think we really kind of got it. Right. Um, and the way that he is able to work with animals and different plants to transform a piece of land, that to me was a truly... Like a <laughs> magical thing, right? Um, so and when, all the details were kind of there, and I was just like, "Why aren't more people doing this?" And well, you know, we, and so when we ended up in Oregon, it was with like that kind of firmly in our mind were these ideas that were partly grounded in biodynamics, partly relate grounded in natural farming, and very intent on doing things by hand on a really small scale, right? So um, when you look at when you look at your property, I mean it does not look like a conventional wine field, true? And so I mean it's interesting. In some ways I mean in many ways absolutely not. In some ways, yes. We we didn't plant our vineyard from the ground up. We we purchased existing vineyards and we work almost entirely with um with existing sites, with vines that are planted. Part of that's about recycling. Right. Um, like, and I think there's a, like, as exciting it would be, be to go into, like, a piece of, like, raw kind of land. There's so little of that out there that right. it, on a many levels, it makes more sense to kind of go into farmland that's being used as farmland, and there's so much of that land that needs to be cared for. Right to kind of come into it. And so that's what we were sort of doing. Um, and so, so we have, so our vines are on trellises. Right. Um, we would, we would like to move off them and that may happen like at a certain point. Um, all wines or some off trellis. I would love to move everything off okay. the trellis. I mean, it's not like, um, but the way that it is now, I guess what's an, What's un- I mean, there are a bunch of really unusual things. We sort of went into it, and especially like in the very beginning, saying there was, and it's evolved, but like in the beginning there were, I mean, there's no mechanization at all, right? So there right. were, we used little carts to move everything around. Um, there was, from the get-go, and it's still that way, there's no mowing, no tilling, um, and we were using the... Um, Use the pigs to sort of change what's growing in the vineyard. And there's an idea from Sepp Holzer where you basically, the pigs go in and they kind of root, like, based on what they're, they're, what they're trying to feed on and what's growing. And then you kind of go behind them and seed behind the pigs. Right. And you can gradually sort of change the landscape um, and what's kind of happening in the understory kind of that way. Right. So we were very much about, like, bring in the animals, see to introduce more biodiversity. Um, and then what, Nate, what is polyculture? Yeah. I mean, so Paul, like, I mean, I think like polyculture and like the strictly sort of oh, so many different senses. I mean, Joel Salatin, I think is like the person that a lot of people would relate to like the concept of like, like sort of polyculture where you have many different animals sort of relating together in the same field. Um, right. what we're sort of interested in is just, is kind of as much like diversity and complexity on all the different levels. So like beneath the soil in terms of like microbial, and, like fungal life, right. uh, above the soil in terms of like human, animal, 
interactions and, and wild animals and domestic, so things that can kind of trigger... There are a lot of events that can sort of trigger wild animals to kind of come into your spaces. Um, right. And then also, and they often relate to domesticated animals in an interesting way. Right. Um, All right. So, Nate. And then you... also in terms of like what's growing there. <laughs> so you have like all the different, like, right. like um, all kinds of different plants and vines and vegetables and trees. And stuff. We're talking to Nate Reddy. Nate is the proprietor of How You Farm. I just want <laughs> people. No, no, I just want people to know. Nate, we only have a few minutes left. I, so I just want to co- I want to cover a few things. I mean, like I said early in the show, I mean, we could take the whole day because you're doing things that are so different. So I want to cover two things quickly. Sure. And what they are is I want you to tell me what Smock Shop uh, Band is. And the second thing is I want people. I want to point people if they want to know more about the farm, the philosophy, and importantly, the wines, you know, where they can go to get them. So first tell me Smock Shop Band is part of High You Wine Farm, but it is... Yeah, it's an exploratory project. And so the crazy thing about all this stuff is that it's all... The the Columbia Gorge is an incredible place. It's one of the most... Um, kind of biodiverse wine regions in the world. And so you go from rainforest to desert in 40 miles. And so like Hayu is just all about the single piece of property. But we're in this place where you can grow any great varietal that you could imagine. There are places that resemble like a cool tributary of the Mosul. There are parts of the gorge that are like like the Canary Islands. Like, So you can... You can do anything, and so it's sort of irresistible to like to explore a little bit. And right. and Smock Shop Band is sort of where the, all that is held. And so we actually now lease and farm four other small parcels in some of these different eco niches in the gorge. Right. And the wines from Smock Shop Band are from those parcels. Okay, so it's you can go out and find other parcels. All right, so Nate, we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but <laughs> tell me if people want to find out more about Hayu and they want to find out more about the wines, where's the best place for them to go? <clears throat> oh, man, it's an interesting thing. I mean, in all honesty, we do a terrible job of... But the, you have a website, and we do it website, explains yeah. a lot. So, 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 so the com <laughs> is, is a good place to start. Honestly, the Instagram feeds... Okay, so you and Smock Shop Band have. So there's at Smock Shop Band. Yeah, there's at Smock Shop. There's at High You Farm, and you can follow Nate Reddy. True. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So those are places to go. Um, I think Cole wrote a beautiful article in 750 recently about all the field blends. Right. Which we didn't even get into. You know, the diversity of the grapes and all that. But I, I think this forces us to have you come back on and we'll focus on the blends and all of that stuff. <laughs> um, Nate, we got to wrap up. Um, <laughs> we only had about a half an hour. Yeah. I will see you at uh, Raw Wine Fair in a couple of weeks. I will sit with you and taste through all your wines. I am throwing out an invitation for you to come back on where we could really get nerdy and get into other stuff. But I wanted to have you on with Isabel and briefly talk about Hayu um, so that people know what's going on. Um, so we're going to wrap up. If you have a suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram at sbenruby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. On Twitter, we're at benruby. Also, subscribe to The Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Um, I will post all of Nate's information. You know, Nate talked about a bunch of websites. Um, so, not websites, uh, social media. I will post that on our sites. Um, Nate, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Like I said, I'd love to have you back on. I want to also thank uh, Isabel Legeron from Raw Wine. The Raw Wine Fair is coming to uh, North America starting in uh, November. Go to rawwine.com uh, for more information. Thank you to our engineer, Gnome. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio is supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.